Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, the 31st of October, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. First up, we're chatting to Judy Okan, the president of Next Generation Niger, about the viral NSARS movement and how it's impacting Nigerians in Australia. After that, we'll bring you an exclusive about Manly's hazard reduction burn gone wrong with Chief Exec at the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales, Chris Gambian. But as always, we want to hear from you. Did you see the damage at North Head last week? Let us know and text us in on 0409 945 945 or you can tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. You might have recently seen the hashtag NSARS flooding your social media. In Nigeria, protesters are demanding accountability of the special anti-robbery squad, which stands for SARS, uh, who have been using violence and torture against the very same civilians they're meaning to protect. Nigerian youth have spearheaded this movement while the diaspora continues to champion it from across the seas in the united fight against oppression. Here to explain what's happening in Nigeria and how it's affecting Nigerian Aussies is the president of Next Generation Niger, Judy Okan. Judy, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, could you please explain what exactly is happening in Nigeria at the moment? Definitely. So... I would say Nigeria is in the middle of a revolution. It's something that we haven't seen before to this extent, and it's something that we're hoping will lead to the betterment or at least lead to the new Nigeria that we all hope for. So what's the ultimate goal for the NSARS movement? With the NSARS movement, we recognize that it's not going to be a marathon, essentially. So it's First of all, being able to end SARS officially, not the promises that have been made before. It will also lead to the reformation of the police force, which will then lead to the reformation of the government. And just being able to hold the right people accountable for what they've done to the youth or to Nigeria, and then eventually lead to better governance. And then we can finally tackle the lack of basic human necessities that we have been missing out on. And in what ways have Nigeria's youth led this movement? Nigerian youth are at the forefront, which is amazing. Um, Nigeria, the majority of the Nigerian population is youth. So over the last, well, the protests lasted for about 12 days before the unfortunate Lekki massacre. And in the 12 days, the youth were able to mobilize a massive amount of change, whether they were on ground or in the diaspora. Um, being there were massive corps or organizations like the Feminist Coalition who were able to mobilize things like rapid response teams, food on ground for protesters, being able to raise funds in order to bail protesters that were wrongfully arrested, just different things like that in order to support the youth that the government had not been able to do in all its years. So you mentioned how both um, Nigerians in Nigeria and the Nigerian diaspora at large have been a part of this movement. So bringing it back home, how have Nigerian Australians been affected by what's going on? 
I mean, it's the usual thing. We have family that are back home, so obviously it's the worry and the fear that our families are not being taken care of and the worries that they may be dead or they may have died. Um, Nigerians in Australia, or just like any immigrant in any other country, will have that fear of helplessness, like I do myself. Like, I'm not on ground, I can't help. What can I actually do when I'm thousands and thousands of miles away? And then also, after the unfortunate incident of the Lekki Massacre and all the people who have unfortunately lost their lives, it's that whole survivor's guilt. Like, if that could have been me. If I was there, it literally could have been me. And what's it like for you supporting and witnessing what's happening happening in Nigeria whilst being here in Australia? It's very bittersweet. Um, the bitter side is obviously... With the use of social media, everything's in real time. You're literally seeing people who are being gunned down in real time. Videos are being shared so quickly, more faster than you can even digest. And then the sweet side of things is, as I mentioned, nothing like this has happened before in the history of Nigeria. Having anyone who knows about the history and knows about the turmoil that has come from tribalism, seeing everybody come together regardless of what their tribe is, in order to fight oppression is amazing. And it's something that provides a new type of hope, even speaking to older generations, like any of my older um, relatives or my parents, they find it amazing that something like this could ever happen. They never imagined it would. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio. We're speaking with the president of Next Generation Niger, Judy Okan, on the hashtag NSARS movement. So, Judy, uh, you've talked a lot about how this movement has like just been mobilized by young people and how that's just such an empowering thing, particularly for, for us at Backchat and for us at FBI Radio. Um, so Nigerian youth refer to themselves as Niger, which means the new Nigeria, am I right? Is that um, right? Yeah. Essentially, so Niger is slang for Nigeria, which comes, which is actually derived from one of the languages Yoruba. And I guess in terms of the new Nigeria, it's representative of a hope that any Nigerian, whether born and raised in Nigeria or in the diaspora, actually holds. It's it's almost like a running joke, knowing how bad the country is we consistently have jokes and stuff. And the only reason why you're able to make those type of jokes is because of the hope that you hold that it will get better. And it's a prayer that even when we're at home, we pray for. It's a prayer that when people are on ground, pray for. It's just knowing that things will get better and movements like NSARS and the way that we were able to mobilize things so quickly and things were able to, the recognition was there. Imagine a group of youth being able to put the country in standstill for two weeks in order to get to this point. Like, it just strengthens the hope that we have for a better Nigeria. Absolutely. And in in what ways have we seen the pandemic make things a little more difficult? Well, with Nigeria, it is unfortunately one of the world's poorest nations. It's a massively populated country. So a lot of the time people are actually working and feeding hand to mouth. So unfortunately, unlike Australia, where if you don't work, you can seek benefits and you can stay at home and the government will look after you, that is non-existent in Nigeria. So it's almost like a consistent struggle and decision of whether you're going to stay home and starve to death 
or go outside and possibly catch COVID. So it's like I'm fighting for my human rights, basic human amenities, asking the government not to kill my youth, not to kill me. And then I also have to worry about possibly catching COVID. So it's literally a struggle both on both sides. So how can listeners support the Australian-Nigerian community at this time? Thanks for asking that. It's a really, it's a really techy question at the moment. I guess the main thing would be spreading awareness. Anyone, anyone who'd want to listen, anyone who wants to know, educate yourselves, go and Google. But amazing thing about the internet is that all the information is there and readily available. Um, another thing would be through spreading awareness, you're actually keeping people accountable. An example I would give is the Nigerian government were trying to dismiss fatalities from the Eki massacre, claiming that nobody had died, claiming that the army wasn't there, then claiming that the army didn't shoot anybody. It's because of social media and the awareness that has spread and the eyes that are currently on the issue that they've been able to be held accountable to some extent. Without all of that, because of the media backout that was happening in Nigeria, they would have been able to get away with denying the lives that had died or the lives that were lost. So spreading awareness, consistently talking about it. Um, NGN, which is Next Generation Nigeria, is in the middle of setting up a fund that will go towards helping people that are on ground, helping people in hospitals, being able to replenish some of the things that are lost. So that's another way that can you can support, and ultimately with prayers. Um, it's a very tough situation, and as I mentioned, with the NSARS movement, it's a marathon. It's something that will not happen overnight, but it's something that we're certain will definitely bring around change. That's, that's wonderful advice. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Judy. Thank you for having me. That was the president of Next Generation Niger, Judy O'Khan, discussing how Nigerian youth are leading the end SARS movement from Nigeria and afar. Stay tuned because after the break, we're giving you an inside scoop on the bushfire at Manly's North Head and how the area has been affected. But right now, we're starting with a bit of a spine-tingling Halloween track. (laughs) I rehearsed that voice like 10 times and still didn't come out right. (laughs) Um, Released just yesterday, this is Ghost by Sydney artist Cool Sam. You're listening to FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Many of us across the city could smell the smoke from the fire at Manly's North Head a couple weeks back. According to the ABC, it's estimated 50% of bushland was destroyed. That's right. And although people were evacuated and there's no ongoing threat to homes, the area's plants and animals were not so lucky. Backchat producer Nikki Ilyagrieva chatted with Chief Executive Chris Gambian from the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales about the damage to flora and fauna, conservation efforts and what we can expect now. Here's Nikki. Following the hazard reduction that got out of hand at Manly's North Head, what has been the damage so far? Well, really uh, enormous damage to what is a really important piece of bush right in the middle of Sydney. So uh, Manly Head is uh, a relatively intact 
uh, piece of bushland um, that is home to quite a lot of endangered species, but also it's been quite a useful place to release um, uh, animals that have been rehabilitated. Um, so what should have been a simple sort of seven or eight hectare um, hazard reduction burn has turned into um, a fire that got out of control and probably just over 50 hectares of, of land ended up burning. So uh, quite, quite an enormous impact uh, for quite an important piece of bush. And ecologically speaking, what makes Manly's North Head such a unique environment? Well, I think there's a few things. One is just the sheer fact that you can have that much bush that close to Sydney. Um, you know, like when you've got one of the biggest cities in the world and you've got um, a relatively intact piece of bush, that in itself is significant. But it's also home to quite a few animals, uh, ring-tail possums, pythons, um, bandicoots, um, also a species, a very rare species of banksia, the eastern suburbs banksia. Um, so Manly um, is important just because it is bush, but it is important uh, for those uh, particular endangered ecological communities. It's feared that the rain this week has caused burnt topsoil to wash over the cliffs. What is the impact of this? Well, at any time when you get um, topsoil or ash uh, running into a waterway, um, that can have a pretty significant impact on the waterways. Um, so that's probably the biggest uh, concern. Um, but really, after every fire event, um, if there's heavy rain, um, the ash that comes out of a fire is toxic. Um, so uh, it can have quite a serious impact on uh, getting into into sort of water streams that, that then affect uh, plants and animals down the track and can quite badly affect uh, those waterways. And can there be flora regeneration in that area after the burnt topsoil? It's probably worth just knowing from the last summer's fires, that um, regeneration after a fire certainly happens. Um, but there's a bit of a misunderstanding about how that works. Um, it's, it's oftentimes quite problematic that after a fire, the first species that will come back will be the weeds. Um, so work really does need to be actively done to make sure that regeneration um, happens um, in a... In a, in a good way um, that has a positive impact um, on the landscape. Animal rescue groups from Taronga were deployed. However, locals have expressed concerns that they can't just go to the site to take care for remaining animals going without food, water or cover. What's the best approach for taking care of the now stranded wildlife, in your opinion? Well, I think that when it comes to stranded, and we had this a little bit through the fires last summer, um, stranded wildlife certainly needs care, but we need to have just better arrangements um, for how wildlife carers can safely enter bushfire zones. Um, and this was one of the issues that came up in the bushfire inquiry, um, that was hand the report of which was handed down um, a few months ago now. Um, there needs to be much more coordination between the relevant agencies to make sure that care for animals can happen efficiently and quickly. Um, and safely. Speaking of animals though, feral cats and rabbits have been observed moving into North Head. How will that affect the area and what should be done about it? Uh, look, the effect of feral animals at any time is enormous. Uh, it's, it's a problem uh, across the board in New South Wales. I wouldn't be surprised if Manly already had an issue with feral cats and rabbits, um, but um, you know, feral animals will eat whatever is, is, is in front of it. So 
um, animals that might be struggling because of the fire, um, you know, get finished off by feral feral cats. Um, it's a really huge problem. The Park Service uh, does a pretty good job of trying to control feral pests, um, but it's one of those areas where you need to make sure that there's enough funding available to, to do the job properly. Uh, it can be quite difficult work, uh, and the best thing really that can happen is for people who are pet owners in particular to, to be responsible pet owners and make sure that um, that we're not letting our beloved domestic animals uh, end up as feral animals inside of the bush. So I was actually doing the Manly to North Head walk earlier that day and remember it being pretty windy. Should the hazard reduction have commenced in the first place considering the windiness that day and the fact that it's a coastal area? I think... There will have to be a review of this event, as there always is of these things, uh, when a fire gets out of control. Um, the wind conditions will obviously be one of the things that um, will need to be looked at, as will the sort of methodology used um, for doing the hazard reduction. Um, you know, wind, wind patterns change quickly, particularly on a headland like that. Um, so there might be some questions around you know, how large an area was being burned at any one time. Um, so, you know, basically, if, if the wind changes, you need to be able to put the fire out quickly. So, look, all of those questions are really important. I'm pretty confident that the um, the fire services within National Parks and Wildlife Service do know what they're doing. They're professionals. Um, they certainly care about the landscape and the bush. So we have no concerns about that. But, um, but there are certainly some valid questions about why this happened. In terms of the timing, um, it is unusual to have hazard reduction burns happen uh, this late in the year. So in October, the fire season officially starts. Normally, you do these burns uh, through winter. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Um, hopefully, um, this is something that's being looked at. I suspect uh, COVID might be part of the equation. Um, so not, not quite sure about that, but certainly we're trying to find out um, from the relevant authorities what the answer to that is because a similar event happened down at the Royal National Park as well um, a few weeks ago. So um, pretty unusual once the fire season has started to uh, be doing hazard reduction burns of that kind, but um, we'd be keen to find out what the answers there are. But in all, um, these things do sometimes happen and we just got to get to the bottom of it to make sure that it doesn't happen next time. What are the alternative fire management strategies that you think should be implemented in areas like these? It's not so much about having alternative fire management strategies. It's about um, just understanding the totality of what hazard reduction means. So there are other things you can do by just looking at where you where you do your burning, where you um, you know just clear out tree litter and things like that. Sometimes um, you know just just raking up the leaves around a large tree. Um, uh, is a really effective way of, of protecting those trees. Cool burning, for example, is a term that you might have heard uh, that is is literally about saying we're going to, uh, when we reduce fuel loads, we don't want to start these enormous sort of fires that are going to just uh, vaporise everything in its wake. We want to just gently remove um, the fuel loads from the bush um, and that's enough. That, that does the job. Uh, that is healthy for the bush. There is a really strong body of scientific evidence on this stuff. Um, that's what the RFS listens to. It's, the, it's what the National Parks and Wildlife Service listens to. It's what we listen to. How long does it usually take areas like this to recover? Well, hopefully we'll start, start to see the first signs of recovery quite soon. 
but you know, long-term recovery, it, it could take years. And lastly, what are some ways we can help conserve and support North Head's wildlife and bushland? Get involved in a local group. That is the single most important thing that you can do. Um, so find a local uh, environment group of some kind that uh, aligns to your interests, whether it's wildlife or bush care or advocacy or whatever else. Uh, there's a lot of them around uh, the Manly area um, that are affiliated to our organisation, the Nature Conservation Council. Um, find one that, that you like, join it, get involved. Uh, if, you can't, if you can't spend time, uh, try to spend some of your money. Um, they're the things that really make the most difference uh, and make sure that come election time politicians understand that the people of New South Wales care about the bush and they care about the bush being protected. Thanks so much for your time, Chris. My pleasure, Nikki. That was Backchat producer Nikki Ilyagoyeva talking to Chief Exec of New South Wales Nature Con- Conservation Council, Chris Gambian. They broke down the damage at North Head after a hazard reduction burn got out of hand and the effect on the area's wildlife. That's all the time we have on the show today. Massive thank you to our guests, Judy O'Can and Chris Gambian. We'll catch you at 9.30am next Saturday. But before we go, here's a spooky throwback to kickstart your Saturday. It's probably one of your mum's faves. This is the 1984 classic, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.